You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Season 2, new intro, let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down, down. Gosh, that song never gets old, man. Shout out to Lakashaw who provided us for that intro. You can find Lakashaw on SoundCloud, YouTube, or purchase that song called Brown Skin Lover. On iTunes. And yo, guess what? It is the last episode of season two, 42 episodes in. Wow. It's kind of it's kind of gift and a curse. Like I'm happy to, to be 42 episodes in, but I'm I'm sad because we are not coming back until October 4th, 13th, right? October 13th. So we're taking a month hiatus to regroup to get some new flavor for season three, and I'm excited about it, but this episode right here is going to be amazing, and I brought on a, a dear friend of mine to close us out for season two. It's more storytelling than actionable items, like we're just walking through a story of a, a young man that's coming from the west side of Chicago and who was evolved to do amazing things, have amazing relationship, but also just talk about life. And talk about some some things that us 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 millennials and outside of millennials can really draw something from. And I got a lot from this interview and I know you will as well. So I want to do a couple housekeeping things. Then we're going to jump right into the intro. First, remember, if you're listening via iTunes, please make sure you leave that review. All right. Listen to via SoundCloud, follow us via SoundCloud, and please continue to share the podcast with your family and friends, the episodes that you think they can benefit from. So I appreciate, like I said, I want to stand on this pedestal right now, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. If you listen to one episode, I appreciate you too. I appreciate you all the episodes. I thank you because of you and your support, y'all have allowed me, encouraged me to continue to reaching out to people and putting more stuff out there, putting more content out there, and who knows where this can go. But remember, it all started with one idea and one thought, and it's morphed into a platform which you can see on the front page of iTunes, which thousands of people across the world are listening to each and every week. So thank you so much. Thank you, Canada. Thank you, United Kingdom. Thank you, Nigeria. Thank you, United States. Thank you, Marietta, Georgia. I don't know who is listening from Marietta, Georgia, but they are our top city back to back. Like hundreds of people from Marietta, Georgia are listening to this podcast. So that means a lot to me. Thank you, LinkedIn family, for holding me down listening to the episodes. Thank you, Twitter family, for holding me down. Instagram fam, people that have been sending me emails to support, people that have been sending me emails to get on the show. If I haven't gotten back to you, I have not ignored you. I will get back. 
And yeah, and um, shoot, that's really all I got. So let's dial up the energy, dial up the excitement, and welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. And I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities. Side note, when I say young, don't just think we just, if you under 50, that don't mean you're young. I'm talking about young in spirit. But we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And I'm I'm just going to change this intro around a little bit today because I want to make sure, too, when I use minorities in, in this sense, I am not... I'm not showcasing uh, our, our culture. I'm, I'm African American in any kind of minute extent. Minorities is kind of the umbrella we put in for, so the podcast we have it, but we are not minority in any category. So I just always want to address that up front because I know some people are like, well, like, nah, I just want to address that right now. But as we get into the show, this show is going to be phenomenal and it's really close to me because, and I'm experimenting with this cold open before I even get into the intro because this brother I met, I mean, he's like the example of growing up, everything my parents probably wanted me to be. It's like long-term committed relationship, did the Ivy League school thing, man, brilliant, creative, doesn't let anybody kind of put him and define him in a box. And I met him actually through the MLT program. And I've talked profusely about the MLT program on this podcast. Great program where your junior year of college, you're put into a room in this space with other people of color of different ethnicities that are doing amazing things and they put you on the career track to interview and talk to some of the best businesses in the country and I'm come from North Carolina A&T HBCU I come like boom 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 and I meet these people and there was a guy that always stood out and even to this day it's not like we talk every week or every month but just his energy his his his, his passion his positivity and his unique outlook on life always stood out to me and from going from Chicago to New York and now all the way to California just to see how his career has grown and more so his relationship as well and the people he's connected with and the story he shares through a creative as he would like himself call a griot and all those things man I really think this this episode could touch on a lot of different things as far as the culture and a lot of different things so I'm excited to kind of get into it so let me read a snippet of the bio because I'm telling you if I just wanted to to write an extensive huge bio on it it can read for days but I just got a little nugget and then we're gonna jump right into the show so our guest today is a multidisciplinary designer and artist living in San Mateo. And I probably said it wrong because I've never been to California <laughs> with this life partner, Ariel Belgrave. And she is freaking dope and phenomenal too. But it's about quitting today. He grew up in Maywood, Illinois, graduated with honors from MIT in 2011. He has a twin brother named Nico Harris and an older brother named Sean Wright. He comes from a rich legacy of artists, musicians, storytellers, many of whom settled on the west side of Chicago. And at age 16, his life seemingly started down a different path. I mean, one that had him feeling a little bit different from the roots. However, the Institute taught him to see his trajectory not as a misstep, but more so an evolution of his family creed. He learned balance, which nurtured the mantra, I am the artist, I am the technologist, the voice, and the hand. He had, he's a designer currently now at Walker Company Brands, um, which many of you probably know for short as Bevel, which is a movement focused on making health and beauty simple for people that share his heritage or people of color in general. Without further ado, I would like to introduce my brother, my dog, my minority trailblazer, Quentin Harris to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. 
Man, that 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 whole intro had me hyped. I always wanted to do like the Arsenio. Oh, woo, 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 woo. That man, was dope, man. Thank you, you so much. Man. Oh man, I'm I'm pumped up for for because luckily this platform has allowed me just to have regular conversations, catch up, and build with cats, and not really feel like I'm I'm really just sitting there and have to drive an interview. So I'm excited, man. And you know, as we always start off the show, and you know, I'm a big quote guy, and you have helped me grow my 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 my, my Twitter love exponentially by sharing quotes with all the cool cats in that that tech space so i'm connected with cats just because of you so what is a quote that you live by and can you share us an intriguing story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life wow so um i'm not sure exactly who the quote comes from i know my mom used to share it always Mm -hmm. um but uh she would always say um don't let your gift get ahead of your of your character and so yeah. And I mean, I'm not sure where it came from. Maybe I'll claim it one day. Maybe I won't. Um, <laughs> but but the whole concept was really about, um, you know, having this natural talent, having this natural gift that you have that's God given. And, you know, you have it to share it with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes what we see in our, our, our culture is we, we promote the gifts or the, the things that people do very well. But we often don't spend enough time really developing the character of the person. Are they honest? Are they trustworthy? Are they someone that you can be around? Could they work well with others? Mm-hmm. You know, and my mom always kind of reminds me that you may you may have this gift, but always work on who you are and making sure that you honor that gift, not only by not use not mis not misusing it, right, but also just being able to share it um, uh, um, unconditionally with people. So. It's uh, something I think about a lot, um, especially being in the space now where I'm in Silicon Valley. I'm in California. Um, I'm, a, I'm a designer amongst, uh, amongst software engineers. I'm, I'm really kind of in a unique space where I c- can really uh, share my gifts with the world um, um, for, for whatever that may be. And it's something I think about a lot. But uh, so with that being said, though, because I mean, if your you, if your mother said that a couple of times when you were growing up, can you say the situation that you were growing up when you were a little kid? And she said that, and like why she said that? Hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a very Back down very explicit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. Uh, I just remember just, you know, her being a minister and being in a church mm-hmm. and we would see these personalities in the church, mm-hmm. you know, really oh, gifted, brilliant, you know, brilliant, the church. Brilliant always people. the black church, uh, gets always the most talented people in there. Always. You, you know, the showmanship of the church is amazing and nothing wrong with just uh-huh. the culture, but like what we would see oftentimes, she would always just teach me, even about her own self, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, people, she, my mother is a phenomenal teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember uh, one day she had a sermon that she gave and everybody just, you know, praised her, praised her. Just was like, yo, um, you did a great job. You did an amazing, you know, you, deli- you delivered an amazing word. You're anointed, you're gifted. And then I came home um, and she, something had happened. I did something wrong and she yelled at me in a way that like was really condescending. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her about it and, and like telling her how I felt. Um, and she kind of took, took some time to really process it. And she came back to me and she apologized to me and she said, you know, 
uh, I'm so sorry. And she actually put what she had experienced earlier in perspective to how she was treating me and saying that, you know, hey, um, what I did to you was not in good character. Um, no matter how good I delivered that sermon, if I'm not good to my children, it, what's the point? Right. And yeah. so I remember just that example, I, how it applies to myself. I, I, I don't remember her telling me, but that's, you know, that, that example, that's, that's clear enough. And I think a lot of, especially in these spaces now, you get, you get more leverage in your career and you're out there. And there's always these opportunities that now you have a little bit more exposure. You have a little bit more leeway in meetings. And sometimes in the back of your yeah. head, you can use that in a in a bag, especially. And I can speak from my 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 perspective as a speaker. It's like all my whole day is really talking and giving life to people, but then it really eats at your soul at home. If you know there's certain things you said that may, you're not really applying, it really uh, installs a lot right. of soul searching, and it helps you right. build your character. Where you like, no, I cannot continue to do X if I'm yep. doing that. So. No, nah, yeah, right on pop exactly. with that, man. So let's exactly. transition into the, the to the beginning of the show, man. Tell the audience that are who are not familiar with you a little bit about your background and where you come from. Yes. So I am born I was born and raised in a little town right on the west side of Chicago, like right outside of Chicago called Maywood. And it was a town that my mom grew up in. My grandmother settled there uh from Texas and it's really interesting just to really kind of learn my family history. I've been able to learn a little bit in recent years. Um, but, you know, my grandmother was a singer, a performer, mm -hmm. but uh, she had to take care of her family. So she ended up getting a government job, and you know, as a post office and really kind of she stayed at the post office for, I would say, 27 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and yeah. And so like my mom. You know, she was the next one, right? And she had two brothers. I mean, she had a brother and a sister. And, uh, you know, my, my grandmother worked hard to take care of them. And my mom ended up really kind of latching to my, my grandmother and staying with her. And mm -hmm. she worked, my mother has worked in the hospital for about 30 years. Wow. And she, yeah, she's, she's like a sterile processing technician. So she mm -hmm. prepares like instrumentation for the doctors and, you know, medical trades and all that stuff. Um, but she was a performer. So she was a singer. And she, she actually, um, she was in a band and, you know, she, she would tour a little bit, but she never got quite there mm -hmm. where she felt like that's what she wanted to do all the way. And then she has her children, right? And we're all, <laughs> up, we're all growing up in Maywood and she has three children. Um, I have an older brother named Sean. Um, I know I'm probably getting too detailed, but no, you I have an older brother, Sean, um, and, uh, um, he, you know, he became this rock star artist, right? So he's the singer now of the family and he travels and he makes music. And then he has, she has two twin boys, me and my brother. And, you know, my brother is a brilliant, brilliant craftsman, brilliant, um, illustrator. Mm -hmm. And then you have me who I, for a long time, didn't really understand that I was artistic, but I had a lot of technical prowess, right? So I was very good at really kind of breaking down problems. And I was a really good student and I, I had a lot of, good um just natural technical ability mm -hmm. um and so like i always felt like the misfit uh -huh. um everybody <laughs> else had but, this like they sing and they did talented yeah, artists and you're a illustrator <laughs> i'm just yeah and then it's just me i was like oh i'm good at math and science that's it uh, so, <laughs> the black so in chicago I, like okay cool where you go <laughs> cool yeah exactly right like I also, you know, I was, I was athletic, but I wasn't confident. So mm -hmm. I, I spent, I put a lot of more, more of my confidence in my, my, um, 
my school, my mm. schooling. And I think it was like sixth grade where I learned that like, I just was kind of special. Like my sixth grade teacher who was, she was like, I can't remember. I'm not going to even just bust her out like that. But <laughs> I just remember not a lot of people had nice things to say about her, but she, uh-huh. you know, was very much so about uh, challenging her students. And I just never forget that te- that first pe- teacher, um, teacher, uh, parent conference where we did like our first quarter grades and she she handed the report card to my mother and she said now I've n- I haven't seen this in years but um, Quentin has the only, is the only student that I awarded straight A's to hmm. and like this is after you know a whole elementary school cycle of just mediocre grades I was mm-hmm. just kind of like whatever and what something about that moment kind of made me think oh wow like I got something and so they started enrolling me into gifted programs and I went through and finished and went to high school mm-hmm. a little high school called Proviso East um really really dope basketball basketball school you know a lot of the greats came from mm-hmm. Proviso East um Doc Rivers Michael Finley oh snap Sh- uh, like yeah like heavyweight basketball in, in, in the area. So it was cool like to really kind of be that kid mm-hmm. in an environment where, you know, like I feel like drugs and gangs were really, really kind of the, the narrative. Mm-hmm. It was drugs, gangs, basketball, right? And, you know, um, uh, Maywood in itself is a bit disenfranchised, I would say. Um, uh, you know, it was an old factory, factory town, and it was just – you know, it kind of was what it was. And just being in that environment and kind of being like the sore, the sore thumb, the minority, right? And mm-hmm. not really, really understanding what that meant, but also understanding that, you know, once I graduate, I probably won't be, I won't be there, yeah. you know, and I really have any clear understanding of where I want to go, mm-hmm. any school, any of that stuff, right? Um, and so, you know, I get to high school. I mean, I knew I was going to college. I didn't know where I was going to go. And it was my junior year, actually, um, my chemistry teacher who ended up being my baseball coach and my wrestling coach. You wrestled um, in high school? Yeah, man. Bruh. I wrestled <laughs> two years. And this is before I had my growth spurt. But like, oh, okay. it was just an excuse to wrestle my brother because it was cool to like, you know, actually compete against my brother. My brother had like 30 pounds on me. He was like football yeah, player. Yeah, brother's not a small was, guy, bro. <laughs> nah, nah. He's not small by any means. Um, but uh, yeah, man, my, my chemistry teacher, he um, would get this brochure in the in the mail. He's, he had gotten it for over ten years. It was uh, a brochure for MIT, mm-hmm. and it was a program called the Bites program, and it was Minority Introduction to Engineering and Science. And that program was created in the seventies um, to really kind of bring minority talent, black and brown talent, to MIT campus. And you know, they bring kids from the inner city, kids from the suburbs, um, to really give them an MIT experience but also kind of act as a, a feeder uh, program to vet talent, mm-hmm. people of color. So it was like an opportunity. It was like MLT, mm-hmm. right? You know, really trying to increase the number of minority students in the space, but doing it in a way that's in a controlled environment that exposes them to not only the engineering disciplines, but gives them a full out curriculum. So I had like basically first semester of MIT in that six weeks. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it was crazy. But um, he, you know, my chemistry teacher, you know, he, he came up to me, he said, hey, Quinn, you know, I, I think you're really talented. You're really smart. Um, but I, I think it's time for you to, to 
stick your neck out. And that's what he would always say. Stick your neck out there. Um, Mr. Glenn Lid, I'll never forget him, man. Um, I still talk to him to the, today. Um, award winning teacher, you know, Disney teacher of the year. You know, he's like that dude. Um, but he was like, Quentin, I, w- I want you to stick your neck out and really kind of go outside of Maywood, go outside of what you know and take a chance. And uh, I want you to apply to this program. And I applied to the program, never applied to anything in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I got in and that program, I went to um, MIT, stayed on campus for six weeks mm-hmm. during the summer before my senior year. And that program changed my life. You know, I met so many incredible people from all over the country. And mind you, like, I wasn't, I was like working poor class. I wasn't poor, poor, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, I had never been around affluent, yeah. affluent families or affluent people. Mm-hmm. And it was just the first summer where I felt like there was something special about me. And I, and I knew that I had more to learn, if that makes any sense, you know? And I was in and, and that program. I, that was the first time I had been exposed to physics uh, calculus. Um, you know, I had an intensive writing course and I had, um, in six uh, weeks you, you had to do all the, wow. Yeah. So I, when I tell you the curriculum was stacked, it was stacked. Now, mind you, I like had to do, um, uh, uh, physical science. So physics, um, a life science. So chemistry, I had between biology, chemistry and biochemistry. Mm -hmm. I actually tested out a chemistry. So I had to go into biochemistry. That was the worst decision I could have ever made. Um, (laughs) um, calculus, right. Um, uh, a writing course and then an elective and then electives, you know, I ended up doing computer programming at the time. It was just flash development, Mm -hmm. but like all of this was compacted in six weeks on top of attending seminars about, all the different engineering disciplines that they wanted us to learn about. So when I tell you it was a full on packed program, it was full. And uh, that was exactly 10 years ago, actually. Um, Exactly 10 years ago. That's when everything changed. That's where I met my homeboy, Dorian, Mm -hmm. uh, who ended up going to MIT with me. Um, I met a few other cats that I'm still good friends with. Um, It set me on a path of just no return, you know, and I came back senior year my brain and mind you, the, the program whooped me. When I tell you it whooped me, it whooped me. Like that was the first time I had ever failed the test, right? Mm-hmm. And mind you, everybody else is failing the test too. Okay, <laughs> you had to put that caveat out there. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So like, you know, out of a hundred points on a physics exam, you know, the average score would be twenty four, and like the standard eve was like six, uh-huh. right? And so everybody got twenty four, right? But then you learn about the curve system. And then you look up and you're like, oh, yes. So if the standard D was eight, it was six, and I got an 18, that means I still pass. Woo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but in terms of a confidence builder, right, it was just like, wow, like all this information, it, you got to synthesize all this information. You have to be able to regurgitate it. But like you're in an environment where, you know, it's okay not to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just how you, how you, how you process what's going on, how you solve the problems. And the problems are solvable, but like building up the muscle where you can solve the problems within a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. right? And so it was just really eye-opening. It was, it was amazing. And I had built such incredible bonds with people who went through it with me, right? And who were away from their families for that summer, who you were having a, a really amazing experience as well. And they were colorful people, right? They looked like me, mm-hmm. you know? So it was really cool. It was really dope. 
Um, but that set me on path to get to MIT. And I, I, got, I got to MIT. Um, and uh, when I was there at mm-hmm. MIT, uh, the the journey started all over again, right? Really yeah, because now you're exposed to that demographic. Plus, now yeah. that that majority demographic of smart, affluent people that are are of color, then goes into now you're a minority again within this plethora of more influential people, whatnot. So definitely dig deep into that that MIT that MIT experience and some some key things you learned about yourself through that timeline. Yeah, man, it was it was it was interesting because. Yet I was, you know, I was in the classrooms with these people who have had such amazing childhoods. I was, when I say <laughs> childhoods, I'm talking about really like, you know, I'm in a, I'm, I ended up becoming a mechanical engineering major, but like we talk about kids who've been tinkering in the shop since they were six or seven, mm-hmm. right? It's been a, a part of their narratives for a long time. And I, you know, I chose mechanical engineering off of a feeling like, oh, I think I want to be interested in this. Uh-huh. But like, you know, have, you have people who were a little bit closer, closer, closely aligned to their, their purpose. And it was really interesting mm-hmm. to be in that space because you had really confident personalities. You had, you know, the kind of the, the usual, you know, really affluent kids come from really wealthy families kind of have that attitude. But what MIT was really interesting was most of those kids chose to be at MIT because they wanted to be there for not only the intellectual rigor, but because they wanted to solve some really, really, really meaty problems in this mm-hmm. world. You know, And I thought that was really inspiring. It was, it was very atypical of like um, the personality that I would often encounter um, at like a Harvard, for example, and Harvard was down the street from us. Right. And mm-hmm. so, uh, it was good to be kind of in that type of environment, but you also were in, you were in an environment where everyone, it was very competitive, right. Intellectually. So, you know, at times I would feel very insecure about my, apt, my aptitude because, you know, I, I often felt like I was at a disadvantage, um, academically, mm-hmm. um, didn't have necessarily the resources or a rich family. Um, and, Slowly but surely, um, I peel back the layers of kind of those in, that insecurity with just the support that I had from the, um, some of the offices in, on campus. Um, I, I did. Uh, I would go to SQ, which is a counseling service on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would. I would. You know. And then I also was able to really kind of self-select the community for myself. Right. So like, there were established communities on campus that catered to minority students. Uh, specifically, there was a group called Chocolate City. Um, where Chocolate it was all City? Yeah. On MIT all, campus? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> it was all black male living group. And, you know, it was started in the 70s in a reaction to really kind of forge this bond and really try to create avenues for people of color on, on campus. Um, and, you know, slowly but surely, there were other pockets and groups and organizations that developed too. But like I wasn't, uh, I didn't live in Chocolate City, but I, I bit, definitely benefited from the uh, resources and the support that they had as a, as a community. Mm-hmm. And there was a Black Student Union, it was all these other things. But aside from all of that, like started to peel back those layers of insecurity using the support. And it was it was amazing to find that I did have an advantage. I did have a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and once I kind of understood not only what my strengths and my talents were, but also how to utilize the privilege that I had at the Institute, which was I had been there already. I had done, I had done a lot of the, um, the work that mm-hmm. I, especially freshman year, I had done a lot of that work in my time. Yeah, you were done a little it. bit ahead of your class, yeah. 
Yeah, I was just ahead uh, in terms of just being able to see the big picture. Mm-hmm. And so that's very powerful to understand. Um, that was very, very powerful for me to understand. And I started to relate to the Institute a little bit different. I call it the Institute. And I think it is the Institute is the best place in the world. Um, it's the best, it's the best incubator in the world, right? You, you, you know, you're not there to play around. You're there mm-hmm. to really get your life together, <laughs> right? And you, you know, you get, you, you're there because, it's going to force you to make some decisions about who you want to be. And you may not, it may not be the perfect place for you because, you know, if it is heavily STEM focused, you know, you might not be in the right environment if you're more of an artist, but it is an environment that really helps you uh, pressure cook yourself and like really get to the bottom line of what you want to do. Ultimately, not necessarily what you want to do in the future, but what you want to do next. Who do you want to be now? You know, present moment. So yeah, man. So that was powerful. And so how? So to walk us through though, how did you start to make that, or what some change in college started to make that shift from mechanical engineering to your first career, your first foray into to advertising and that sort of business? Because those are those are you can draw similar things from that, of course, but Mm -hmm. they're still starkly different. So when did you start making that transition into into your your that that point of your career yeah so i was making that transition all throughout undergrad and mm-hmm. i just remember kind of the clear signs of that path but like didn't really understand how the dots were connecting until much later um but like freshman year you know i did the prereqs to my major and then i started um mechanical engineering sophomore year and i think it was two students um, of color that really influenced me to actually go into architecture, mm-hmm. which was more of the design oriented program um, at MIT. Then uh, under architecture, there was visual arts department, there was um, uh, urban planning and studies and uh, city planning and things like that. But they kind of housed all those departments together. And it was two students that I remember. It was a guy named uh, uh, Jarrell Johnson and another guy named Joe Brown mm-hmm. who kind of tried to go this, like they tried to create an alternate path where they used architectural design and mechanical design and really tried to merge the two. Right? One, was, one guy was really obsessed with roller coasters. The other guy <laughs> wanted to do uh, amusement parks. And they really, like the design piece was like something I was really interested in, didn't really know how to say what it was but i was really interested in it so they encouraged me to take the first architecture studio class as i was doing my mechanical engineering program and so it was architecture that i felt like wow i'm getting like the design thinking skills and the experience Uh, but the mechanical engineering piece was really just kind of learning how to like really get very technical about a problem and Mm -hmm. really kind of understand deeply what it will take to understand to solve a problem, right? So, like learning like material science and learning how things move and th- learning motion, right? That was really the engineering piece. But then, mm-hmm. really learning how to curate an experience, how you want someone to feel, how composition affects reality or perception, right? That was really architecture, and I liked both, but I didn't really want to commit to both. So I was just like, well, let me just do both, right? And so I ended up mm-hmm. doing a double minor in. Uh, architecture and visual arts and throughout the whole time when I was doing my curriculum I was doing a lot of side graphic design projects so uh-huh. I would do a lot of graphic design stuff for some of the offices I was creating t-shirts I was doing flyers I danced on a group I danced at a like a like a hip-hop dance group <laughs> so like I was doing like all the clothing for them and uh-huh. it was really interesting and 
you know, and like all that stuff started to really kind of converge as I got closer and closer to finishing the program. Um, and I started to realize that, wow, like I, I, I really like really creating a visual aesthetic, but I also really like understanding how to really solve problems and really kind of have the function, the core function behind it. And I didn't really know how to quantify it or really know how to really make a career, like choose a career path that really suited both of those like personalities mm -hmm. or I, I, I wouldn't even say they're different. I think they're of the same coin, but I think they're two sides of the different, uh, of, of the same coin. Um, but it was MLT that mm -hmm. exposed me to marketing mm. and, I just to give a little bit of background of what MLT is, and you know, that is, I think MLT is a huge part of your narrative too, Greg. But yeah, um, MLT is Management Leadership for Tomorrow, and it's a program that was started to increase the number of um, top earning talent in Fortune 500 companies, right? And so mm -hmm. the goal is to increase the number of black and brown CEOs, like that's the bottom line. But um, that mission kind of fanned out and. They started with, you know, trying to get MBAs, like successfully get uh, black and brown talent into high achieving, high, high achieving uh, MBA programs. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, from those MBA programs, they would go on to try to be management as well as like, you know, C-suite uh, executives. And they created um, an undergrad version of the MBA program that they started. Mm -hmm. So that undergrad program was to get the track started earlier and develop a pipeline much earlier in school for undergrads um, to um, get the first internship, get the co first corporate internship. And so it was a year long, year and a half long um, kind of professional development training that I went through and I had a personal coach and I had all these different things because at that time I was like, well, I have very two different interests but i didn't really know how to converge the two mm -hmm. and so maybe this will help me maybe i maybe those two interests won't suit me in the future maybe i'll just go away and do some consulting or finance or something like that but i wanted to use that program to really explore other career options and marketing specifically brand management and design um was really a part of that exploration and it started to appeal to me and then i was like wait a minute i'm already doing this type of stuff with yeah, yeah graphic design i'm already doing kind of like you know uh the clothing and all this stuff and so i was like oh, look this is i think this is perfect like whatever let me let me figure out how to get into a space that is this right and so um i'll never forget uh valerie griffin who was my coach miss valerie um, yep. miss valerie yeah i love miss valerie um she said well you know like if you can try to take some marketing classes in school because, you know, you want like it's good to do it after school. It's good to really kind of, you know, do a lot of this stuff outside of your day to day, but really see if you can start to incorporate it into your rhythm, your routine. And I took this marketing class and the company that I worked for for four years outside of school after school, um, they presented that day. Mm. Uh, one of the, and they presented um, just um uh, it was a marketing one-on-one and I remember them presenting kind of like how they use data to inform some of the decisions that they make for their clients when it comes to just positioning their brand, growing their products, things like that. And I, when I saw that company and I saw the visual creative that they were doing, I was like, this is it. This is what I was searching for. And so I connected with uh, the presenters 
um, they brought me in to interview for the internship program that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually made me interview for analytics. And uh, <laughs> I come in with my little portfolio printed out and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And they were like, oh, um, okay. Well, just do this case study real quick. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, okay, cool. And I, I, mean, I banged out the case study. It's just, you know, it was kind of what it was. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, well, he must be talented. So they brought me back in for a creative interview. And from there, it was history, man. I did an internship and I had been with the company for four years. I started in Boston, worked out in Boston two and a half years. And then I moved, I transferred to the New York office and kind of slightly changed my focus and um, uh, was in New York for a year and a half before uh, transitioning to technology. Yeah, man. So with all that being said, let's make a slight pivot because okay. I've, I've always I've always respected you. In a, in a in a higher regard, outside of just you being a specimen as far as just, just a creative and whatnot, with your your relationship, man. Because I mean, oh. I'm I'm 26 years old, and I, I've I've had maybe three three four man probably three real relationships never lasting more than four to five months, which is very difficult in my climate. And the CQ, and honestly, Dorian too, um, a, a, a CQ's good friend and a, a good friend of mine as well have these solid relationships that lasted for a long time, which is kind of, I ain't gonna lie, it's kind of rare in a, a African-American community with people that are doing stuff. Because, you know, you meet a lot of cats that, okay, I got that degree, I got a good job. They out here mixing and mingling. And to see his testament of, of, of having that relationship, can you kind of share a little bit with our audience? Because honestly, a lot of viewers um, that are listening, they're scorned. <laughs> they're scorned from this the stereotype of, okay, all black men that are self-doing they're this, they're doing that. And I think you are... Uh, I don't know. You're a very outlier in that sense. So can you share about that that evolution of that? And also maybe some things that have allowed you to be so consistent and to have that longevity with your, not now your fiance. Yeah, man. I, man. So, uh, while all that career stuff was happening, Uh um, junior year, towards the end of junior year, I met this girl, um, and she actually went to Boston college. So I spent a number of, weekends off campus uh, just for social stuff and Boston is an amazing college town where you can you know go and network with so many different people especially people of color at different campuses so Mm -hmm. I uh, met this uh, very special young lady um, on my on my and some time that I spent at Boston College and I mean her in being introduced to me just really changed my life and changed kind of how I was thinking about relationships and thinking about dating and all that stuff um, she's like my first real girlfriend. Like I had folks, I had like folks that I dated and folks that I kind of just were like, you know, kind of casually talking to, but not really anyone that was really serious. Mm-hmm. And so I would say just right off the back, there's like three elements of why I guess me and Ari have been together what, almost, almost six years going on seven years, actually. Wow. Um, and I mean, we're still young, right? Yeah. And like, like, I mean, the first element of it was luck. It was serendipitous, right? And I don't believe in luck per se. I think it was, you know, purposeful why that I met her. But it still was just this element of like being in the right place at the right time and meeting this, an amazing person who had an amazing story mm-hmm. uh, to share. And you know, that in itself, I feel happens very often. But you know, the next pieces were were like really critical, which I, I would say 
guidance, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, being able to be in a space where I was actively taking relationship advice from people that I thought had successful relationships, right? So, I would reach out to people that I really mm-hmm. admire, whether it be on campus or, like, older folks. Um, even, so, um, you know, just talking to the people in my life, the, the family members that, you know, had relationships and really just getting perspective on that mm-hmm. because, I just, I didn't know any better for a lot of different things, right? And I didn't know how to really share a space with someone. I didn't know how to communicate with someone or even be completely honest with someone, right? Like if you were having feelings about other people or if you were, you know, still trying to really work out what it meant to be single mm-hmm. or work out that transition from being single to to being in a relationship, you know, like really having that guidance was really important. And then also just having the space to, to to be, improve yourself and to be yourself right and mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that me and Ari have really tried to do in our six years is really give each other some space to develop as individuals um, because we met so early mm-hmm. uh, you know we 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 were very serious about like not not um, smothering each other right and mm-hmm. uh, I remember specifically she went she was at Boston College right and mm-hmm. I was at MIT. We both had really demanding coursework schedules. And so we were just very mindful that like, you know, during the week we had to be about our business during the week. And then on the weekends we could plan to be around each other. Right. And so like she was, she would either come to MIT or I would come to uh, Boston college. And it was really good because she had friends at MIT. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it wasn't like she was like the girlfriend from off campus to come visit. (laughs) She had a really solid friend group at MIT and and I did in BC as well. So it was, it worked out in that regard. So like our communities, I think that's really difficult too. It's like really thinking about how does your communities and your Mm -hmm. life really fit to the life of somebody else's and like it happened organically and we were all young and you know we're all friends and it was really cool um but you know really we were like yeah we business first you know and really kind of having that mentality that both of us were were ambitious in, in our own ways and it's important for us to acknowledge that first um and try to figure out how to support each other but also give each other what we need mm-hmm. you know and uh, that was, I think that was important in taking it slow in that way. And then we, out of school, um, living separate places, but like being almost like in, in, in for a good distance from each other. Right. So I remember in Boston, I lived, we lived on the red line and I was in Dorchester and she was in, um, Somerville mm-hmm. and they're kind of like opposite ends of the tracks, but like it was, you know, the same train line so we can get to each other whenever we needed to. But it was enough space where we felt like we could really kind of start to build our own lives and our own identities. And we didn't know that that was ultimately going to do us the good, like do us good. We just had a, a feeling that it was good. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like grounded in like, you know, super hyper religious views or anything like that. It was really much so um, the practical guidance that we got from other people of just really you know, taking your time, have some space, learn, live, mess up, do what you got to do, but like really, really, really be mindful that you are still growing and this other person's growing and, you know, and enjoy, enjoy the growth. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we look, I look back and like, you know, the first time us living together was a, it's, it's going on a year. Right. So we haven't been even living with each other for a year. And that's, this is like this new transition in our lives of how do we kind of make the day-to-day work together because we never had to do that before. We really created like our, like, you know, our 
quality time spaces and we would communicate with each other, but we never were around each other day to day. And so like, how does this next phase work out in itself, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like that translates very well to like our path for marriage. And so having to learn how to problem solve and communicate with someone and all that stuff. So like, I, I, I mean, I appreciate the, you know, the nod in terms of like <laughs> you saying that me and me and Ari's relationship is, is inspirational, but like, man, it takes, I, I, I would not say that it's been easy, nor would I say it's, you know, as beautiful as it may look on the outside, you know, and I'm not saying that that's <laughs> bad, but <laughs> yeah, don't get <laughs> yourself saying, in no trouble. Man. <laughs> right. I'm not saying that's terrible, but like I'm also saying the real, the reality is the beauty, right. And, yeah. And being able to be all and have someone that you're growing with and to, to, to see everything and still love them, right. Learning what, what that really means, you know, to have Ari be so close to me and she see my flaws, but she still loves me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and it's something that we're continually working on. Yeah, man. That's, that's, that's no doubt, man. And, um, uh, I want to ask this other question too. Um, say if you were, all right, you have this room, right. And mm-hmm. you go through the door of this room and then you sit down and you're, it's like somebody asked for advice. You didn't know who was advice, but you said, I'm going to take this time. I'm going to, I'm going to give this, this young man advice. And then you sit down and you look and it's like, yo, this is you. And it's like you 10 years ago, knowing what you mm-hmm. know now. Mm-hmm. So what would be some of the things that you would tell that person? So four things. And they're, they're simple. And I wish someone had would have told me these things 10 years ago when my life had initially changed mm-hmm. for the better. Um, and there are things that I felt like I would, ab- I was able to grasp over time, but uh, it would have been nice to have someone like this mysterious figure that you didn't really know where he came from, but you kind of felt intuitively that he was speaking directly to you mm-hmm. and he knew something about you that you didn't know. I wish someone would have told me these four things. The first thing was, you know, be courageous. But true courage is really standing up and doing something where you're scared. Mm. Right. And so what that really means is if, you know, if you don't feel like you're adequate enough, if you don't feel like you're smart enough, if you don't feel like you have the money to do something, but you really want to go after and you really want to do it, be courageous in trying it regardless of your fearful that you're going to fail or you're fearful of what people may think about you, Mm. you know? And so I think that's real courage when you can just do it and you do it for yourself and you do it for the the reasons that you really want to do it and you learn from it and it doesn't have to be perfect, you know? Uh Um, So that was the first thing I would tell myself. And the second thing I would tell myself is like, uh, really try to establish a routine for always producing something or making something. Mm. Um, I think, and, and this is not to say like what you make is big, but as a creator or a creative, um, I oftentimes spend a lot of time thinking about what it is that I want to do. Um, mm. but I never take those thoughts and break them down into little pieces and actually make incremental, um, strides to whatever it is that I want to do. And so I'm learning how to do that now. And I think just being a product designer um, and having to solve these really complex problems, I'm getting training and skill into really taking the big problem and breaking it down into small pieces and 
taking bites off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, always keeping the big picture in mind, but like really trying to do something that goes towards what your goals are. Like really be committed to establishing a routine that that compels you to create on a regular basis and create things that are small, right? Because before you know it, those small things will turn into something big, mm-hmm. right? And those small things, when we're thinking about simplicity, right? We're thinking about like the most profound things are simple, simple mm-hmm. and they're thoughtful and they're, and, and usually what we don't see is the process that goes into making those things really simple, but like it takes a long time to get to even creating something that's simple and it's easy. So, you know, just being committed to a routine will help with that. Mm-hmm. So that would be the second thing. The third thing is uh, really love everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think this. Some, I saw something really special in my personality younger, but I didn't really understand it or get it. Um, I'm a very, I do well in an environment with a lot of different types of people mm-hmm. and a lot of different types of personality. And to love on someone is to really kind of celebrate who they are, where they are, and really acknowledge that they're present, that they they have a presence, mm-hmm. you know? And I think oftentimes um, when I was younger, I didn't know I had this particular ability to do that. And I would often get so consumed with just being always about myself and beating myself up or being super critical about myself and really not practicing the self-love in a way that it will help me to love everyone else that was around me. And I think the older I get and the more confident I become in myself and the more I learn how to love myself better, I'm learning how to love everyone around me. Mm-hmm. And so I guess maybe to, to really kind of tighten that, tighten that piece of advice, it would be to learn how to love, my, love yourself to the point where you can love everyone else around you. That's what I would oh, say. Love that. Ooh. Yeah. So, um, and then the fourth thing is just don't overthink things. Um, my brain is very complex at times. Mm-hmm. My interactions with people can be super complex sometimes too. And I think that's just a product of just me overthinking uh, certain things. And I mean, it's my nature um, to, as an engineer to, to really kind of overanalyze and oversynthesize and try to anticipate every, every move that I make or every step in the problem that I'm trying to solve where sometimes it just takes for you to just be really quiet and to be really um, um, risky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as I say, just focus on one thing and just do it and learn from that one thing. You, you often learn more from doing and really kind of simplifying your approach than you do from really overanalyzing something and trying to perfect it. And I mean, I, it's weird because I like, I have the tendency to be very uh, perfectionist mm-hmm. in certain areas and then I have the tendency to just be all over the place in other areas. But for the things that I tend to overthink, which usually leads to fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. I would say to myself, just, you know, chill out, be okay. Stay smooth. Stay smooth. Don't overthink, yeah, <laughs> stay smooth. Don't overthink it. Uh-huh. You know? I, man, that's that first of all, that's some fantastic phenomenal advice. And more so the way that you broke it down into those into those sections. And and if you could, and I know we talked about it a little bit prior before the podcast, but before we go to the future round, I definitely want um to, to us to, to stop here and talk about it is 
I was reading a couple blog posts from you, from you and just looking at your background and also reflecting on my background and maybe some things that some pain points that a lot of our viewers may be going through. And I think mm. we talked about it earlier that the association with talent and then developing skill, like everybody has a natural talent in something, everybody just listening, everybody. But in order to kind of, and you've seen it to have to grow in your career, growing your influence, growing your relationship and just growing a human, you got to begin to develop that, that talent and that skill. And if you can kind of share with our audience, maybe a few things that of course, and we know we're, we're all not finished products, but I know you took an gradual steps in each part of your career to kind of continue to define that talent on a high level. I'm not talking about just in in the, in the closure. I'm talking about in your past role and now as your role at Bevel. So can you share with us maybe some things that, 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 that shaped you into furthering, developing your talent and that skill to a more than proficient level? Yeah, man, I'm trying to break it down as, as, as much as I can, when you when I was writing notes earlier when we, we were talking, mm-hmm. um, there's like I feel like there's like three levels. Maybe mm-hmm. they're not levels, succinct levels, but there's three areas that we often talk about. It's like talent, mm-hmm. then there's skill, mm-hmm. and then there's character. And mm-hmm. I think, um, and I mean, I'm just oversimplifying it just because this is logically what I'm thinking. But like, you know, there might be people that have better better explanations of what I'm thinking for sure. Um, but like. I always often kind of perceive talent to be this God given gift or this thing that you have that, you know, within a particular moment, mm-hmm. you can kind of intuitively and naturally grasp it and you can do it. So like when I think about just like people's ability to sing, right. And this, this really beautiful, like voice, like it's just raw, powerful voice. Um, it's just like, it's in you, it, you, you have it and you, and you do it and you mm-hmm. can usually feel something uh, this presence that is really kind of driving that talent. Um, and it's usually within a particular moment. Skill is kind of in my mind, the next level and kind of translating talent into something that can be channeled and repetitious and, uh, built and, uh, and kind of used. So like as a singer, you know, you built the skill to be able to have vocal lengths and Mm -hmm. ranges and different pitches and really kind of practicing and using the talent and crafting it in a way that you can really kind of start to be, give it into, to, to, to practice it and to, and to, and to, you know, really perform it in a way that is, rep, that is, um, uh, routine and mm-hmm. it's uh, delivered consistency and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then character is kind of, kind of the next phase. And I may be skipping over <laughs> a phase, but character in my mind is kind of like now I have, the ability to control my talent, which is the skill. Mm-hmm. How do I use my talent in a way that's effective? And how do I use my talent, not in a silo, but in a, in a, in a sense of like, how does it affect everybody around me? Mm-hmm. Right. And so like being cognizant of like who you are and your, and your position within the world, I think that is in, in itself, like the essence of character and then building good character, good habits um, is kind of like the trajectory. And so, um, I think with all that being said, I felt like, uh, especially just being young and just kind of having kind of this, this, this intuition for design and, and design thinking and creation and photography and, and storytelling and all these different things, 
um, I had some talent, but I had to build some skill. Mm-hmm. And um, and so like the, out of, at my first job, I would say like I, I was confronted with this um, this idea uh, that I was talented, but I didn't have the skills nor the character to really make an impact. Mm-hmm. And I was confronted with that idea after my first like I would say like six months into or a year in where I got a, um, a performance rating that was pretty low. Um, and it wasn't for the fact that I wasn't talented. Um, and it wasn't even for the fact that I wasn't doing my job. Um, but it was really kind of like how well I was doing my job. And am I, is, is, am I evaluating my talent based on the position or the space that I'm in right now? And am I effectively building skills, um, and also building character? And so, um, I think, uh, not I think, but I know when I was at the job, mm-hmm. um, and I got that, that feedback, it made me really kind of stop and think about, hey, is this what I want? And even if it isn't, <laughs> right, and even if it isn't what I want, what can I do better? Uh-huh. Um, 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 and, and, you know, am I really kind of just kind of really relying on my talent uh, my, my intuition, my, you know, am I not spending enough time really developing my character? Um, and so, uh, I went through kind of a, a, a process of just writing goals and really making sense of what I wanted to do. And I mean, there's moments like that. And there was, there's so many other complexities working around mm. that very issue. Um, but really if I just take a step into just really kind of being honest with myself, right. Cause I could be honest about everything that else is going around me and you know, how somebody might have not given a fair review or, you know, there are other factors at play. But if I was really honest with myself, I could just see that like I was really kind of leaning on my talent and mm-hmm. my talent is what got me there. Right. Like it was like, you know, first of all, like I'm this kid who had no art background, Mm-hmm. Right. Had no fundamental like schooling for like graphic design. And I'm in a space advertising where, you know, I I had the ability to translate whatever I was doing in undergrad to to just really kind of be a person who could fulfill an art director role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I made the, I made it up in my mind that at least for the season that I was in, I was going to be very intentional about how I develop my talent and build some actual skills and become uh, a, a good, like, so my, my job at the time was to create digital advertisements and to uh, actually build marketing, marketing pages and landing pages and experiences for, for my, for the brand that I was working for. Mm-hmm. And so I made up in my mind that that's what I was going to do and I'm going to be the best at it. And so, um, I really started to, you know, I took extra classes. So I took like a creative concepts class and I, you know, I, I started to ask more questions about, uh, the space and really get really technical with graphic design. And I was learning from the people around me and I really, really f- tried to focus on being a better, uh, creative associate in that, in that space. Mm-hmm. Right. So I felt like that led into the opportunity that, um, that I ultimately uh, transitioned to in New York, which was going away from more marketing design to marketing communication design to actual like web design and mobile app design and like product experiences. Mm-hmm. And so 
because I had made up in my mind that I was going to develop the skill and the character to not only um, be a better designer, but to be a better employee, um, that naturally helped kind of uh, push me into a space that I was starting to explore even more things that I was interested in. And because I had a good track record, I was able to make the transition without any problems, you know. Um, and there was, uh, you know, I, I can just be a little bit more vulnerable with you, um, mm -hmm. really about just, you know, talent, skill and character in the context of my relationship with my, with my, with my lady, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, a talent that I have is really being able to uh, really look at a situation and really figure it out and just be very logical mm -hmm. and systematic in my thinking. Um, and really kind to trying to create solutions for whatever I'm thinking about. So like my mind is always kind of churning and I'm always trying to do things. But when it comes to communicating with someone, especially if you're trying to communicate that someone is doing something that you don't like mm. them doing, yeah. that gift be misused and appropriated to be uh, not so nice, right? And uh -huh. be be in a place where you may come off as condescending, judgmental, um, uh, a know-it-all, um, mm -hmm. and not being compassionate about that other person, how that person's feeling. And even being real with yourself and saying that you can't change that other person, right? Like, mm. and, you know, and, and, and you talking or you trying to solve that other person's problem is not really what you should, should be doing in the first place, right? And so, like, understanding that, I have that talent, but really having the character to really know when to use it and when not to use it has been really big, especially in how I relate to my lady, you know, and how I communicate with my lady. And there are some things that she, you know, sometimes like she's really naturally gifted at being very regimented and routine mm -hmm. and how she takes care of her body and how she takes care of herself. And so, like, that's something that I'm just, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I'm just a little blasé when it comes to that type of stuff. <laughs> and she's understanding that she can't really push me to be something that I'm not, but she can encourage me to be better if I want to be better, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, understanding how to have the right character and not see my, well, one, it understand that, the flaw that you're perceiving in someone else may not be what they're perceiving as a flaw. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like being open and understanding that this person has a different way of thinking, they have a different way of communicating and having the character to, to really kind of love that person and, and, and to use your gifts in a way that doesn't hurt that other person. Yeah. Or our people in um in general, because uh, that's, that's I'm glad you brought that up, because just in talent, even myself, I got a I got a pretty good gift of gab and I can always and in a day I can I can utilize certain situations and certain gifts that at the end of the day, sometimes I'm not to say it's outrageously wrong, but some things it's just not good for both parties. And, yeah. and then sadly, it's like, OK, especially I don't like letting people down. So, of course, that leads me to, to somebody say, oh, yeah, sure, I can do it. That I, I may do it, but it may be two months after I said I was. And even mm -hmm. though you do it, 
it's not the same. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. people like, hey, yo, mm-hmm. G, just send me that, uh, send me that PDF. I was like, oh, Q, you already know I got you. I sent it in two months, mm-hmm. even though I sent it. That doesn't mean that I, I could easily be like, yo, Q, um, I don't, I, I get, I'll get it in a second or something else. But just trying to please everybody or the the women on, oh, sure, hey, blah, 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 and then you just you keep cashing checks that you can't you can't cash. I mean, you keep writing checks you can't cash, and sooner or later it's going to bounce. Right, right, right. I mean that that character piece is honesty right like just being able to be honest with yourself and be honest with the person doesn't take away that you're gifted or talented or you may have the skill to do whatever that person wants you to do but it's like really kind of acknowledging that like i honestly probably can't get to it like i'm getting much better at that because i was the same way you know i i want to make sure i'm able to connect with everybody talk to everybody but the last like two months or something I've just been terrible. I was like, I looked at my email the other day and this person sent me an email in May. I was like, Oh my God. Like I used to be like the networking king, but uh-huh. like I, in my mind, I, it used to be this person. Yeah. Uh, I'll be the same <laughs> way. I, I, a lot of people probably listen to this podcast. Like what, what Greg is Greg talking about? Right, right, right. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, because like, like I think when you're able to just, admit that to yourself then uh-huh. you can admit that to other people uh-huh. and people you know like people can trust in your character you know that you they're gonna get what exactly what you say they're gonna get uh-huh. and that's i think that's good you know i'm i'm i personally just i'm i don't want to i don't want to continue to create an illusion about who i am i want to just be who i am you know and um i want these talents to not get ahead of me right i, I don't i don't want i don't want people to just really love me for my talent or my skills. I want them to love me because I have, I, I'm a man of my word. I have good character. I can treat, uh, I can treat people right. I can treat women right. I can, you know, you know, I could just, I could just be someone who has a good moral standing, good moral compass, you know? Yeah. And it's crazy you say that because some, some days you can, people could say we live in a society that doesn't, necessarily reward that outwardly like you're rewarded yeah, in your internal sure. relationships but you're more outwardly on what you what more value you can provide to other people like i'm more notable outward okay greg is speaking or looks he's doing this he's doing that rather than just okay instead of writing that blog post there seven to spend seven that speaking gig honoring the word that i said to somebody else or doing that even though but you know at the end game of it all you always end up coming up short if you if you you undermine your own character, and then sooner or later, like you said, they they care can only get you. But I mean, your your talent and, and skill can only get you. But so far, if the character is 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 uh is lapsed, so yeah, that's that's powerful in that man. And on the future round, I just got a couple questions about the future, man. What's next for you personally in 2017, man? Because I know oh, I've, been, I've always followed you. And I know, I guess the, the your your role now is a lot more intensive because I haven't seen too many updates on your personal projects. So, what's uh, what's, what's up today, uh, man? <laughs> what you got shaking? Yeah, man. Uh, so I mean, uh, and that's I think that was that's kind of like goes to like just developing myself and developing the character that I have. I mean, seven twenty seventeen is really kind of a huge part of it. Is going to be dedicated to uh, the work that I'm doing at Walker and Company, mm-hmm. specifically around just you know, kind of earning more, you know, ask, like positioning our products to earn more and mm-hmm. to continue to build on the success that uh, Bevel and Walker Company has been able to uh, sustain in the last few years. So um, I, I think 
it's weird because this is the first time I felt like my professional or career goals have really kind of become synonymous with my personal goals. Um, and I, and I, it's, it's, it's an interesting space. I don't have all the answers mm-hmm. to how that play out right now, but I'm in that, I'm in that ideation phase. Right. And I think it's really cool. and It's really refreshing, um, to, uh, to be fully committed to a cause, um, and really learn from that cause and to really kind of develop skills that I can transfer into my own personal cause that are outside of that, that, that career space. So, um, I would say 2017 is really focused on really kind of, um, building the company that I'm at and also just building the, setting the stage for, um, the marriage that I'm, I'm, I'm walking into now. So, mm-hmm. Me and Ari will be married in 2017. We'll, we'll have a ceremony in 2017. And so, like, preparing for that. And, you know, that's both a, you know, event planning <laughs> yeah. uh, task in itself. But it's also, I think, um, a really kind of, uh, you know, it's like checks and balances, right? So, like, making sure that our mental health is, is, is in a good place. Making sure that our communication is in a good place and really starting off our marriage in a, in a great way. I mean, I, I always say that we've been married for a while, a long time. And I think we've, <laughs> you know, um, this is not us just kind of the wedding is not like the start of the marriage, but like really kind of trying to make sure that we're easy into this formal commitment that we're, that we're about to make, you know, I think that's going to be the major focus for me, um, in 2017. Um, nothing really hard st- set in stone. I still um, want to create little things on the side. So remember just that, that point of advice that I was giving my, my younger self of really just trying to be committed to a, really creating small things. I'm, I still will here and there be able to just go and just create. So I'm still walking around with my camera, snapping photos. I'm still writing a little bit in my, in my spare time. I'm still helping and volunteering um, with, with some nonprofits and some other things. So Amen. Amen. And the last question before we go into our rapid fire round is, uh, when it's all said and done though, how do, how do you want to be remembered? Ooh. I know that's like, that's a loaded one. Dang. That's like, that's a, that's a killer crossover right there. Um, I think about this a lot because I want to be remembered for being a man that was never afraid to be himself and was always willing to love someone and to help someone. That's simple, but that's definitely just simple. It. Yep, and that's yeah. that's real. Not too grandiose because that, that 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 we don't have no control over that. But you do have control over what you just stated. So, man, mm-hmm. that's that's powerful in itself, man. So, as we adjust into the culture change round, man, I got five questions, rapid fire, and then we kind of go from there. All right? Okay. All right, rapid fire. Boom. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Understand your gift, develop your character, and share your story. Question number two. What is your favorite book and why? My favorite book is uh, Austin Kleon's uh, How to Steal Like an Artist. Uh, It's simple. It's short. uh, I can read it at any time and really kind of activate my brain to become a better creative and to really kind of hack and create, you know, create that small routine 
to always just be making stuff. Yeah, that that if you have not got that book, that book is a phenomenal, easy read and very and very intuitive. Like you could, like you said, you could pick that up at any time and be something you can actually do like right now. So that book is phenomenal. This question is gonna be like a kind of screwball question, but uh I always interested to hear people's guess. Actually, this is the first time I ever asked it. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Oh man, so that so yo, uh that's not actually a screwball. That's like that's an easier question than... Uh, <laughs> Only than somebody from MIT would say that. Every time I ask somebody else that question, I have to edit it out because they're like, what? <laughs> uh, so if I had to be any, any animal, I would be a leopard. Hmm. So leopards, uh, leopards, and I would be a black leopard too, like where mm-hmm. you can see like, you know, you can kind of see the spots in his coat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, But like, you know, just really smooth, cunning. So I always thought this animal is just really smooth. It's a predator, uh, but it's very, very crafty. Um, it, can, it, can, it can run really fast, really athletic. I love that animal. Um, and I love like the coat of that animal too. So when I think about just like my personality and being able to like patterns and spots, I love leopard print too. Mm-hmm. So like if I could be, I would just be, a, I would be a leopard. <laughs> I love that. Like, I love that. And then, yeah. uh, if you were the president of the United States, what would be the first oh, no. thing you would do? Oh, no. The first no. thing. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to answer that one. No, I don't want to be president. Yeez. It's the most, Yeez. it is, the, it is a, a loss of a job. I ain't going to lie. Like, you just lose. You can't win being a president. Anything. I would, um, I would, I would look at like how we spend our money within the Department of Education. And really think about alternative learning styles for, for like really trying to institutionalize alternative learning styles for for children, specifically poor children that don't have access to resources. Um, I think there's a huge education gap, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of that's really socioeconomics, um, and it's something that I felt like that I I experienced as a as a kid. Now, I'm not saying I had the worst education, um, but I also at times felt like I didn't have the best education. And, you know, education or even just uh, what you know and how you use what you know to navigate our society um, is so important. And so I would just be looking at how to create alternative systems for poor uh, children to be educated in a way that will close that gap a bit. Nah, that's 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 phenomenal. It's crazy. Our education is that's a whole another podcast for a whole another day. Um <laughs> cause it, but uh and, and that's the end of that. And I know the last question I ask every person on the show before we end and wrap it up is I call myself the culture change agent because I, I'm really I'm really posting and trying to do my part and changing the culture. And the question I always ask anyone that comes on the show is if you could change or, uh, yeah, if you could change one thing about society, uh, most specifically the African-American culture, uh, what would it be and why? Ooh, this one's great. Um, I would, I would change how we educate our black men to honor and respect black women. Um, particularly when it comes to even just identifying as a man and what we think about my masculinity. 
Um, I think we're as a someone who's experienced shame, shaming, um, or I would say shame, someone who's ex- experienced shame for just being not hyper masculine, not super into sports, um, and really kind of uh, more into the creative arts and into fashion. Um, uh, like I personally would like our culture to be a bit more sensitive to uh, promoting more of this carefree black narrative and really trying to, you know, uh, not feel like you have to be the tough guy or not have to, not have to always feel like your masculinity is in question. If you like things that are a little bit offbeat or a little bit out, out off the, off the normal path. Right. And Mm -hmm. also like not necessarily always ascribing things to, a sexual preference, which would be homosexuality, right? Like, mm-hmm. like just because you like clothes doesn't mean you're gay, mm-hmm. right? Or just because you you prefer to, you know, really kind of take a very close look at what you're wearing and even push the boundaries of what you like to wear, um, you know, you don't have, you're not soft, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I think it's one of the areas that we could, improve on and you know really improving on how we view ourselves will help translate how we treat our our women our black women uh, specifically um and i i mean we could talk about that all day but just yeah man that's 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 one of the the most unique um things that i've that i've heard through the 40 plus podcast that i've recorded acute man shoot man first of all from the bottom of my heart and from the bottom of minority trailblazing nation's heart i would like to say man thank you for giving us well over an hour of your time but you could be out perusing with your fiance and cali man i just i did a thank you i'm sorry (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) i should have just left it as a thank you but i was gonna be like i just went running with her this morning i'm (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You know, I appreciate, though, you know, the consideration that you have for me. But, uh, you know, uh, no, but, I, you know, it was a pleasure um, just really just talking to you and opening up to you and sharing my story. Um, You taking the time to ask me the questions you did and really challenge me to just open up and share. No, I, I, I appreciate that, man. I think these are always the interviews that majority of people get the most from because right now there's a proliferation of information out there on anything. We could have asked you, how do you become, how do you design or how do you, how did you leverage or blah, 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 blah. but all at the end of the day, I, I love storytelling. I love real people going through real things and sharing real experiences. And I think you captured that in this time frame. And I know a lot of people from, from your, from your perspective, from my perspective and from the culture perspective will benefit from this interview, brother. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate so, that. Where can people find more information about you, your products, what you kind of do, and, and 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 all that good stuff? Yeah, man. So um, I, I think the biggest space that I publish a lot of like what I what I'm doing is on Instagram. So mm-hmm. my Instagram is just my name, uh, Quentin Harris, Q U I N N T O N H A R R I S. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, I have a personal website. It's just my name, QuentinHarris.com. Um, and uh, I have a photo blog, 
which is journal.quintinharris.com. So you'll be able to get to all of those things. Once again, thank you, Q. Minority Trailblazer Nation, man. It's been a blast. It's been 42 episodes. Like I always say, I never thought it would go this far. But thank you for your continued support. I look forward to being with you back on October 13th for season three. And until then, all I need you to do is one thing, two things. First, please, if you're listening via SoundCloud, follow us via SoundCloud. If you're listening via iTunes, please rate us and leave us a review. Five star, please. And our second thing, I need you to change the culture. Good night.